0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today's episode, I have a visit from Dr. Michelle Borba. We talked with her about empathy a while back, and now we are talking about thrivers. Dr. Borba says we're raising a generation of strivers, not thrivers, so she wrote a book Walking through seven teachable strengths that kids need in order to experience a resilient response to the world. And they are so great because they're actionable items. We're going to go through all of them today self confidence, empathy, self control, integrity, curiosity, perseverance, and optimism. And we're going to go through things that you can do, small things. These are not big asks. Many of them are already existing interactions that you're having and just being aware of some new language you might want to use or thinking about things in a different kind of way. And given all that kids have been through this year, thinking about raising thrivers is top of mind. We want our kids to be able to handle setbacks and keep going. So if you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate. And I love when I see a review, I mean, a kind review. (laughs) And you can go to Apple Podcasts and put any nice thing you want. If you have any questions, keep sending them to me on my Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast so that I can answer them either on social media or on the podcast. And I hope you enjoy this conversation.
1: The whole approach to Thrivers to me was take the push out of parenting. So it's going to help you if you instill those character strengths. Not only will your children thrive more, but your relationship will as well. You'll enjoy it more and you're going to get the product you really want. And that is yeah, a successful kid, but a kid who can live life without you. And that's the real goal of parenting.
0: And it's just such a hard thing to say. It's even hard to hear, right? I know. But you broke this book down into seven essential character strengths of thrivers, which are in no great coincidence, all predictors of resilience and associated with resilience. I want to start with self-confidence because so many people say, I want my kid to be confident and confuse what confidence and self-confidence really is. So let's define that and talk about strategies?
1: Well, I start with the foundation to all of thriving with self-confidence, but I'm defining that as a clear understanding of who you are. And it's, it's kind of a you understand my strengths, but I can also accept my weaknesses. And when you know that all of the research says, not only is that the foundation of thriving, it's going to help all the rest of the character strengths build on, but it's actually going to help your child propel them into a happier, more healthful life because they're going with their strengths as opposed to their weaknesses. And that was the biggest issue over and over again. I kept looking at that. We unfortunately spend more time acknowledging our kids weaknesses or try to Obviously, we're trying to make them better human beings, but if we don't balance it or at least let them know what we see as their potential and what, what they thrive with, they tank and there goes their self-confidence. The easiest way to do that is, first of all, take a three-by-five card and start walking around your house without your kid knowing you're doing this, but start marking down where his joys are. What his interests are? What is gravitating towards? What are the kinds of things he comes up and goes, look, mom, look what I just did. What are the things he pulls you to do as opposed to ones you're pushing him to do? What we also discover is that our kids who are the most talented, they didn't have pushy, pushy teachers at the very beginning. Oh my gosh, Benjamin Bloom did this incredible study of the most prestigious neuroscientists, um, our, our Olympic athletes, our best artists, One thing they had all in common was the parent who made their first levels of, I don't care if it was music or dance or basketball, their first teachers were fun. They instilled this love of it. They built up their confidence to the point pretty soon The kid would be the one to go give me something harder because they loved and were so passionate about it. And that's the other thing confidence does. It drives the kid toward purpose and passion, which is one of the most highly correlated traits of success and happiness.
0: So when you're trying to get kids to feel confident, it's really important not to confuse like pumping up their ego as confidence because that's nothing to do with their competence or their sense of self. That's about it's like this inauthentic yeah game that we play to um, to I guess give that sense you're not even being seen because what if somebody compliments you and says you're awesome when you know you're not at something like where where does that even go and and I think that's why that stuff that gets so toxic you know you talk about those phrases that we say like you can be anything you want believe in yourself but what are we talking about because we are we're not really doing that, right?
1: Yes. And we're going against the grain. The first step we know for self-confidence is the parent has to figure out who their child is, not what they want to become. And there's in the beginning of Thrivers in that first chapter, there is a core asset survey that you can go through and figure out. What drives your child? What are their strengths? What are their learning modalities? Many teachers and parents say that by the time they get done with that, they have a fresh, new understanding of their child. If you have a teen, you can have the teen fill it out and then you can compare the two together. Anything to help you know who your child really is is the really the basis of good parenting because now you can follow that path.
0: And you know what? What's so beautiful about that is also when you know your parents love you for who you are, you can do anything because you're doing the thing that's you.
1: I think the three basic needs of any child, they need to feel safe, they need to feel accepted, and they need to feel enough. And if you got those three, the rest of these thriver traits are gonna go right on the top and you're gonna be able to boost the strength and that's where you're gonna build that child so he believes in himself and has true
0: potential. So one, one other thing I wanted to ask about this self-confidence is how do we highlight that what they, when you're walking around with that three by five card, kind of trying to catch joy in the household or like what really gets your child to feel like they have purpose and all the things that you're doing as an investigator into who they are, how do we highlight that? there's no judgment around it. Like if it's not what you thought it was gonna be, or if you're not noticing that that doodling is constant passion for art, because you think of it as a doodle, how do we transform our thinking so that we notice what actually is who they are?
1: The rule is as you're going around, you just jot down what you see. No judgment, just jot it down and keep jotting it. If you keep walking past your child after a while, You're going to see some qualities. And there are the tenacity. Does the child keep enduring in it? Is his attention more focused in it? Does he learn quicker with it? Does he have this eagerness because of whatever he's doing? He has this need for it. I got to go get my reading book, mom. I got to go get my reading book. And finally, there is a tone that just seems more excited and more proud. There's one other reason why you want to do this. I looked at just scores of extraordinary research on resilience. We're talking about. Following the same kids for 40 years, kids who were faced with enormous adversity, but somehow a third of them could bounce back and were caring, competent, and kind kids. They made it. What made the enduring difference? One of the things we overlook is those kids had hobbies. They had something to backlog on. They enjoyed their own company. So when the stress really came, they went to the music or they went to the books or they, they went to the bubble blowing or they went to the art we got to have something for our kids to go to to help them decompress. It doesn't mean they're going to win a Nobel Prize in this talent. That's not what it's about. It's about helping your child figure out what he enjoys, what his strengths are, and then keep adding from there.
0: I love that you used bubble blowing because that's the point, right? Like it's your yeah. hobby. It's not it's their it's their hobby. It's their thing that that gives them something to go towards and something to do with themselves. It's not ours. So if bubble blowing is what they are doing that is, and they're they're wiring their brain to get into something. That's all that we need.
1: That's it. That's it. Acknowledge it, write it down, and then you can start with I just noticed how much you enjoy bubble blowing. Start with a dialogue back and watch their response, because usually they smile a little more, they nod their heads and you go, got it. Now we're going to keep adding on. And by the way, each kid in your house is going to be different as night and day, It's like Russian roulette on what you get with the, with the DNA. Their interest will be different, but thrivers are always made, not born. That means we can teach the skill sets of a thriver. And the first step is they have a strong self-understanding.
0: Now you have a, an acronym. Is it an acronym? Is that right? Sure. Um, the (laughs) talent. Yes. Is that right? Uh, I I came up
1: with the reason for that is many parents go, I can't remember what all those things were. So,
0: so what are the six common characteristics of core assets that you can help people remember through talent? Tenacity, you're gonna see that your child shows
1: a little more determination and perseverance with that particular task. He has attention, he's more absorbed in it. Kids who know what their talent and their strength are, very often they you can't pull them away. They're really focused in on it. Learning. He's going to learn quicker by using that particular talent, which is why that's a godsend. You can figure out what his learning styles is. Oh my gosh, he doesn't like anything auditory. But wow, if you show him the picture, he can remember it. That's your path to take. Eagerness. He's so excited to get back to it. Or he has a need for it. You can really see he's, he's missing it. He's suffering if he doesn't have it. And he's got a tone of excitement. And if you don't see that the child has any of those, don't worry. What you now slowly do is start introducing kinds of things. Let's have a family hobby day. Let's figure out, okay, grandma's going to do a Zoom on knitting. Let's see if you enjoy that. We're going to do a Zoom cooking class. Let's see if you enjoy that start giving kids a repertoire and watch where their eagerness is. You're not trying to build them up so they get an A plus. You're trying to build them up so they enjoy it and they have something that they can use to decompress them and enjoy themselves.
0: Now, if they're not enjoying the knitting or they're not enjoying something, is it, you're trying a bunch of things. So you see like, is it like a blind date with hobbies?
1: Oh, there you go. Yes. You're giving them possibilities. I love that. You should put that on a bulletin board. You're giving them possibilities because what you're really doing is watching and you're going to tell them, you may not enjoy it, but let's see what you like. I love knitting. Do you know? What do you love? Art. Okay, that's cool. Now we know
0: what we enjoy. I think it's worth mentioning the specificity of how you're talking about praise when you catch those moments.
1: Yes, we're doing it the right way. Number one, it needs to be very specific and it needs to be earned and deserved. For Pete's sakes, don't tell him how artistic he is when he's not. But if you praise (laughs) him for that particular quality and tell him why you enjoy it, and it's not like you're not going to give him a trophy. You're not going to give him gold stars. You're just going to announce it. Wow, I noticed how artistic you are. Looks like you really enjoy drawing because of the color combinations or the details or how much you just keep being absorbed in it boy, I'm really glad I found out about that. Would you like to take a little more art classes? Or would you like to do a, now you do, maybe it's a documentary on watching artwork. You expose the child to what he looks like he's really enjoying. That's going to take it up a notch. And it doesn't mean he's going for the grade. He's just going for the
0: love. Michelle, I want to just highlight the sentence that you gave as that example of praise, because there are plenty of people who won't know that what you just said was praise because you noticed something. (laughs) You didn't say anything that maybe is part of what we traditionally hear as praise, but you gave it attention and noticed and pointed something out.
1: Yeah. And so simple, because if you lavish it on too much, actually kids with low confidence, at that point, they can't accept it and you'll find him becoming negative and countering it. And you're not trying to do the acolytes and give him too much praise. In fact, very often what that does is make the kid stop doing it. You're just giving him a knowledge base on here's what I discovered about you. And the best thing is watch the kid's reaction because a lot of times they do a smile and they just keep on going and you go, got that one right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now we're going to talk about Very briefly, empathy, because if people want to hear you talk about empathy, they can also listen to a previous podcast that we did together because you have a beautiful book on empathy. But I want to go through the ABCs of empathy.
1: Yeah. And first of all, why it's a thriver trait? Because one of the things we discovered about thrivers is that they have social competence. They have a likability factor. It doesn't mean that they're going to be extroverts or introverts. They just have the ability to make a friend or be friendly. And that's one of the most highly correlated traits of mental health. So when it comes to empathy, I think we also need to realize that there's three kinds. Why I say this is that some parents come up, go, my kid doesn't have it because he doesn't cry when he sees Bambi and he doesn't have to cry when he sees Bambi. One kind of empathy you can see on your child. And that's the A kind. It's affective. When he's reading Charlotte's Web, he comes running in because his friend just got bullied. You can see the distress on his face. And that's okay. That's one part. That's affective. That's usually one of the earlier kinds of empathy that shows up. My two-year-old would crawl in my lap and when I'd cry, he'd pat my my cheeks and he went and got a Band-Aid to put on it. But he was feeling with me. I just found out my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and it was just so distressing but I was watching his response to me and I went, Oh my gosh, he's got empathy. And he's so young. Mm. B is, we're going to go for B for a minute. We're going to go straight to C for a minute because that's the other side. A is affective. C is cognitive. It's more perspective taking. It happens more around the age of eight, but it's when the kid does something glorious, they stop and try to understand where the other person's coming from. Oh my gosh, if we could only add that 5,000 levels up to every person in the U S right now, I always tell kids, you don't have to agree, but try to understand where he's coming from. And the more we expose kids to differences or different perspectives, are you sure on that? Let's flip from Fox and let's listen to CNN, flip different views. Let's look at where you came up with that idea. Now let's go for another source. The more they get into that, they're going to become a deeper thinker. That's glorious. Perspective taking is the cognitive side, but here's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for the A or the B to C to go The A or the C to go to C the C B. C to be. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> I'll tell it, you what your book said. Oh, my God. Good thing you read it. The A and the C to go into B, which is behavior. And that's compassion in action. So you see the kid being distressed. How glorious to be able to say, what mm. you going to do about it, sweetie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you see the kid just like, that isn't right. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? That creates the little change maker. And actually that behavior in action is one of the best stress reducers there is. Figure out how you can do to something to make a difference, not to go out there and win the altruistic award, but just to do something because it's the right thing to do. Wow, what an impact that can have on a kid.
0: And given how limited face-to-face interactions are right now and how much more screen time there is, what are some solutions for today's, you know, hopefully not, you know, it's not going to be too much longer, but I've been saying that for a year. Who
1: knows? Who knows? So who knows? So who knows? given well,
0: how, how much yeah. they need the, you know, we're all having difficult str- I think all parents right now are struggling with how much, you know, you don't want to remove the interactions with their peers. They need it so desperately, but you don't want them to be on their screens all the time. You want them to have face-to-face. You want them to be able to empathize and read facial expressions in real time. How are you thinking about that?
1: Well, first of all, we do know that the thing that we told them not to use is actually their lifelong. And that is their lifeline to the real world is that cell phone. But you can be a little bit stricter on that of use it if it's using with someone face-to-face, Skype, do Zoom, the more the kids at least interact and can see the other person's face, the better. Because the more they look at a flat screen or the more that they text and don't talk about it, it actually can increase anxiety. When you're FaceTiming with grandma, you can, you can prime the child. You're going to FaceTime with grandma, but watch her face or listen to her voice and you'll know when it's time to hang up because she's getting a little tired have a regular ongoing learning partner or we're doing virtual book clubs. So you have a group together or you're learning that hobby together. Maybe you can get three kids who want to learn knitting together. You can Zoom that together. Those are all ways to build it up a level. The the final one is don't overlook books and film because uh, Jonathan Haidt said those images, if they're the right kind of images, like think about the books that just impacted you as a kid and you'll never forget them till your dying day. Uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. For kids right now, they said it's The Outsiders. Wonder, um, Harry Potter. Why do they love them? Because it's literary fiction. You step into the shoes of the character and it actually lights up the part of your brain right behind your ear where compassion is. This is your moment, parents, to keep reading, reading, reading to your kids because it's gonna help them right now get through some tough
0: times. It feels so overwhelming when you think these are these seven... Uh, strengths that you're growing. And it feels overwhelming because they seem so big. You know, we've talked about self-confidence. We've talked about empathy. They feel like large undertakings, but actually this book really breaks it down quite simply. And you start to realize it's not that big of an undertaking.
1: Oh, good. That was the whole goal.
0: No, it's not. It's like, oh, you just tweak a little bit here. You are conscious a little bit more when you respond to certain things. It's actually a slowing down in many ways so that the moments that you do have are a little bit more intentional, but none of it felt remotely overwhelming. Oh, good.
1: Because the other thing is that each activity is set up by grade levels or ages. So there may be one skill, but you can figure out how to do it for the little ones, the middle
0: groups and, you know, the tweens. And then a teen. You know what? Let's actually put that into action here so people can see that. Cause that is another benefit. It really does, you know, there's a, a very clear, um, distinction. I mean, you even put, is it letters next to next to the, um, you know, what, what age it's relevant for. It's a very clear way of, okay, right now I don't need to think about what a teenager is going to do. I'm going to skip that part. (laughs) I'm just going to think about my little one. So let's think about, by age examples, with the next strength, self-regulation? Is it self-control?
1: Well, but it's the same kind of format. It's being able, drivers can put the brake on their impulses so they can think straight and self-regulate. That's what you're trying to do. That's not so easy to do right now, but let's keep working on it. When you're dealing with the little, little one, you go back to the bubble blowing because one of the best ways I ever learned how to do self-control, the Navy SEALs taught me. I mean, here's the most elite forces in the entire world. And I said, okay, what are you guys doing differently? They said, we are rewiring our brain by doing three things and you can teach them to kids. Number one is we figure out what our stress signals are. So spend the entire week or month or whatever going around your house and with dignity, this is not timeout, this is just dignity start doing a notice statements again. I, I noticed that w- right before that time tester, you turn on that Zoom, you start to grind your teeth. looks like you're getting a little stressed. Or I noticed right before your friend makes that phone call to you that you get a little upset and you start twirling your hair. Identify the trigger, identify the signs. And then the second thing that they do is they take a slow, deep breath, deep from their tummy. That's what you'd say, a little one. And they ride it up like an escalator and then they hold it and then they exhale. Exhale is twice as long as the inhale. And they finally say inside their head, I got it. I can get through it. So how do you do that with a a four or five-year-old? Bubble blowers. They're fabulous because they don't know how to blow correctly. Too often they blow too quickly. They'll hyperventilate and you'll need a bag over them. So what you do instead is you just say, "Let's, let's get a bubble. Not when the middle when they're in the middle of the meltdown. But we're talking, always teach when the child is calm or you won't get anywhere. And let's pretend those bubbles are your meanies or they're angries. You see if you can blow, but take a real deep breath, way down in your tummy, blow, 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 make it big, big, big. Oh, look how big it is. No, but slowly, slowly, it'll stay big. Oh, there goes your meanie, it went away. Now show him how did it make your feel? See how you wrote it up? Then you wrote it down. That's how you do it for a little one. Next one, I've seen like school-age kids. They do the same thing, but sometimes they don't get it so you can show them. Put your back up against my back and lock arms together, elbows, and say, now I'm gonna take a deep breath and watch how my body feels. Watch it, feel it. Now you do the same way. So you're modeling it by mirroring it and the child is actually breathing up Hold it slowly, let it out. He can feel it. What happens with teens is that you can take a feather or a straw. And I find a lot of them still don't get the slow, deep breath. And the Navy SIL said you'll never maximize relaxation unless it's slow, deep, and exhale twice as long. Blow the feather across the table, but breathe it slowly. Don't let it bounce. If you can blow it way far and go across the table. That's the kind of breath that's going to help you relax. So you got three different kids. Another one for the team that I love is ask them or ask all your kids to help you to set up a calm down corner in your house. The place you're all going to go to or all by yourself or as a family makes no difference. But when you're starting to feel on edge, because now you know your signs and watch what they bring to the calm down corner. Very often teens will bring music they'll tell you that they have a playlist that's perfect and they've got it all. That's what they need. I've seen little ones bring glitter jars, little, little ones bring their teddy bears. Some kids bring their books. I don't care what they bring, but how glorious to be able to talk about it because for the rest of their lives, that's what they're going to use and utilize without you to be able to keep themselves calm. So the stress doesn't build and it doesn't go into anxiety
0: you can't come up with these things for your kids. They really need to find their own way with your guidance. So they are all going to choose what their you know, playlist is or if they even have a playlist or whatever that thing is that keeps them, you, know, you always can help them find the thing that they go towards when they are self-regulating. They just might not notice they're doing it.
1: Boy, do I love that you said that because that's exactly what I was interviewing about a hundred teens while I was writing this book. What are suggestions you have? And one team just nailed exactly what you said. He said, you got to give us a repertoire of stuff because mindfulness works for some kids. Meditation works for others. Deep breathing works for others. Just give us possibilities. We'll choose what works for us. And then we got to practice it. You know, you don't learn this stuff in a textbook. You got to keep practicing it until we become it. I love that because that's exactly what Mm -hmm. you said.
0: We deserve to know what we're putting in our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every day. Ritual has clean, vegan-friendly multivitamins, and it's formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms your body can actually use. Here's what you will not find in Ritual. Sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fibers, and artificial colorants. Plus, there's actually a fresh taste and delayed release capsule designs that make taking vitamins much easier. I chose ritual because I can't stand being concerned with all of the possible garbage that is in vitamins. So, if you want a multivitamin that has key nutrients in forms your body can actually use, ritual is the multivitamin reimagined. And even though you should absolutely have high quality diets and not depend on a multivitamin for most of your nutrients, it really feels good to just take two daily pills that have everything you could possibly need, including vitamin D3. Ritual is made traceable. That means you always know what nutrients you're taking in and where they come from. Thanks to Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain. And It's designed with your life stage in mind. So they have it for women, men, and teens. Ritual vitamins are scientifically developed to help support different life stages. Ritual makes healthy habits super easy. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping, always. And you could start, snooze, or cancel your subscription absolutely anytime. And if you don't love it, you get refunded on your first order. Get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. So visit ritual.com slash humans to start your ritual today. Ancient nutrition has one goal, to transform the health of every individual on the planet. Tiny little goal. That drives them to create whole food nutritional products made with real ingredients for real results that you can see and feel. And every product they create is rooted in tradition and supported by science. So ancient nutrition is based on traditional herbalism and Ayurveda, which are ways of eating and thinking that have survived generations, combined with today's modern research. They believe proper nutrition isn't just about eating the right foods, it's about ingredients your body can actually use. And that's why they source the world's highest quality ingredients and rigorously test them for pesticides, herbicides, and heavy metals. It's why they do everything they can to create products that your body can easily digest and absorb every one of the products has a purpose. My favorite is the multi-collagen protein. So if you're looking for a great place to start, this is it. It is so easy. You just put a scoop into your morning coffee. It is unflavored. It dissolves right away. And it's more than just collagen. You're going to feel better and see a difference in a month. So multi-collagen protein can help revitalize your joints, skin, and hair and reduce joint discomfort as early as day one. It can even help smoothing the lines. After just a month of use, improve your skin tone after eight weeks, and it's made with clinically studied ingredients, including five different types of collagens. So go to ancientnutrition.com, use the code HUMANS for 20% off your Ancient Nutrition purchase. Try it for four weeks listen to your skin. And again, effortless. It's just an odorless, tasteless powder you put in your morning coffee. So awesome. If you're looking to revitalize your joints, skin, and hair, do it with clinically studied ingredients using the code humans for 20% off at store.draxe.com. Jane.com is a boutique marketplace featuring the latest in women's fashion, trends, accessories, home decor, children's clothing, toys, and more. Jane.com features hundreds of new products every day, offering you everything you need to live your best, most stylish life. So every day is a sale at Jane.com. They offer a wide variety of categories and styles. So you can find something for everyone and everything in your life even your dog or cat. Over 400 new products drop daily. Everything from apparel for the whole family, home decor, toys, novelty items, kind of you name it. And if you love a good deal or you like to seize savings, definitely go to jane.com. jane.com products only last for a limited time. So it's kind of fun. See what you can catch. And by shopping at jane.com, you support small businesses. They offer products and name brands from over 2,000 shops at great prices. So find your next discovery at jane.com slash humans. Have you ever found weird things in a vagina? Have you found yourself needing multiple partners to fulfill
1: your desires? Hey guys, I'm Dr. Jacqueline Walters, a board-certified OBGYN. It is so important that we know how and when to ask the right questions, whether you're in front of your doctor or just hanging out with your good girlfriends. Now, I wanted to create Dr. Jackie's point of view because sometimes you need to just hear the unfiltered good old Dr. Jackie. I will inspire, uplift, and educate women and men on the who, what, when, and where of things we balance daily. Make sure you subscribe to Dr. Jackie's Point of View and tune in every Thursday.
0: Okay, so I also just love some of the phrases that you give that I think we can all try to memorize for taking pauses. Like, because the pause is the power. In my mind, if you can learn to pause, you basically have nailed life.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's, that's it. So succinct, but that's so true. That's why you can, you will be, you are a thriver because you can take matters into your own hands. Thrivers have an, I got this kind of an attitude, but they don't have it because of DNA. They have it because they develop some skills that help them keep going. And that's those power phrases. Um, it could be sitting down as a family and brainstorming them maybe brainstorming them over the week and just keep adding on to a poster board. Like I got this, I'll get through it for a little kid. I think I can. I think I can. After you read in the little engine that could, it's okay. It'll get better. Just possibilities. Then you have each child choose their own. A teen's going to choose one. Certainly not. I think I can. I think I can, but usually a little more upbeat one. And I think one of the most powerful things that we overlook is we modeling it ourselves take one of them and say, I'm going to use this one. I got this. And anytime you're frustrated, just mumble. I'm getting really frustrated. I got this. I got this. I got this.
0: Yes. And the talking to yourself is so helpful. And I actually, my kids make, well, my kids, as you can imagine, make so much fun of me constantly. <laughs> <need> but <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that you mention is the, you know, are these pausing prompts. And when my kids were little, I used to, and one of your pausing prompts is if you're mad, count to 10 before you answer. Yep. Yep. When my kids were little, I, anytime I was mad, I would count my fingers to 10 before I said anything. That was like how I kept myself from snapping. And so, and I thought I was very regulated during that time and pretty proud of myself. And then one day my kids were telling other people about what I do when I'm mad. Cause I think someone said, your mom must be so calm. (laughs) And, and they were like, well, I mean, she thinks she's calm, but she basically counts her fingers as if she's calm. And if you want to know what she looks like, it's this. And they do this like very uptight looking person trying to count to 10 with their fingers. But I was like this, (laughs) Yeah,
1: but that's the isn't that glorious? There's a part of you that goes, "Oh no," and then there's a part of it you that goes, "Oh
0: my gosh, they got it." But they did get it. They knew yes. that I was counting to ten. I might not have yes. been doing it in the calm, lovely way that I was feel. I was imagining myself doing it. Yeah, but
1: that's that's like the goldmine because the same thing when you're frustrated and you're going, "I got this, I got this." If you keep saying it enough, what happens is your voice becomes their voice, their own inner voice. That's how powerful we can be with parenting. And the whole goal of this is just choose one simple little thing, like you and counting the ten with your fingers, or me walking around the house going, "I got this, I got this." What'll happen is pretty soon
0: the kid copies it and mimics it, mimics it. <laughs> I'm running out of team and ease. and they can internalize yeah. all those messages if they keep if if it just keeps getting repeated. Yeah. So let's do um, integrity. I will say that right now, if you wanted to boost something, we better
1: boost integrity because I think our kids have been seeing adults behaving very, 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 very badly.
0: Oh, sing it. This is the solution. if There is one. There's a solution and it's a
1: really powerful one. I found one book that changed my life and I found it (laughs) on the killing fields. I was there working with schools and I walk my way out and was actually sobbing my way through. How can people be so cruel? And there's this book sitting there by Samuel Oliner, and it's called the altruistic personality. He wants to find out why people were rescuers during world war II. You don't know about the thousands that did because they don't want trophies and citizen of the month award. They just did it because it was the right thing to do. So he interviewed dozens of them and he said, you risked your life to help a perfect stranger. You're a Christian. That was a Jew. How did you do that? Why did you do that? And every one of them said it was how I was raised. You want to know how you raise integrity? Pretty darn simple because they all said the same thing. Number one, my dad or my mom always modeled it. Everywhere I looked, I saw kindness or I saw honesty or I saw integrity. They always modeled it. Number two, they expected it. My dad kept saying Yeah, what do we stand for in this house? This is what we stand for in this house. When we discipline, hey, I'm really disappointed in you because this is the behavior you use. Now, what are you gonna do to turn that around? And they always gave us opportunities to learn how to have integrity. We were required to do charitable acts or required to give back. And it was always when we delivered whatever we made or the extra overcoats or the blankets to the shelter, the look on the people's eyes of gratitude We finally realized we could make a difference and we had to go home and do some more. Now, how simple is that? But it was intentional. So the kids became people of integrity.
0: How can we, when we're not thinking about the beautiful, big gestures or small day-to-day gestures that are out in the world, like the example you just gave, but inside the household, when you're just disciplining your kids when they do something to a sibling that you find appalling
1: <laughs> number one you stay calm and take a deep breath mm-hmm. number two you immediately turn and it's simply it's it's the best discipline we down know has these parts to it and it's like four hours so the first one is you respond don't let it go and respond immediately don't wait until like five o'clock in the afternoon when and had it at nine because the kid may not remember it but your respond is always you know what did you do there? Why did you take the controller like that from Sarah or you pulled it from her? Respond. And then you review why it was wrong. What did you do there? How did she feel? Review on the other person right there. That's a really powerful idea. And then reflect on how did that make the other person feel? Reflect and review on it. You know what the most amazing thing is? How would you feel if that happened to you? Seems to be one of the most mind-boggling ways to instill Empathy and conscious and integrity. How would you feel? What would you need? Now, how do you think your friend feels? What do you think your friend needs? And now write it, write the wrong. So what are you going to do next time in order to make it right? Now, if you crunch all that together, it's about a minute talk. But the first thing you need to do is have that conversation with your child so that he understands what the heck you stand for as a family. Maybe coming up this weekend with our family mantra or brainstorming all the different virtues there are and and circling two or three that we are really adamant that those are who we are and stand for the most. And then keep emphasizing them because day-to-day from watching TV to a news story that comes out to discipline, you'll be able to use those again if you've taken the moment to be intentional.
0: I love integrating all of these strengths into examples like that, like the taking the remote control from your sister or something where it's like, oh, integrity is, this is woven in the fabric of society, but it's also inside these like small moments, we have opportunities. I just would love to go over helping kids find their voice within this framework of integrity. Like when you talk about allowing for disagreement asking questions and asserting your beliefs. I really loved that framing and I would love to hear you talk about it.
1: What I am concerned about, and I didn't realize it was a big problem that was coming up, was that our kids are not talking enough about finding their own voice. We're talking for them. And as a result, they're not becoming deeper thinkers. And that's what we want. Now, actually it was the high school teachers who told me that. They're so at risk averse that they don't raise their hand enough because they're afraid to get the wrong. They're afraid that answer. they're going to get the answer wrong. And yeah. that's exactly what you don't want. Right. So instead, you come up with some ideas in your own family and they're pretty darn easy. Your rules are easy. The first one is ask, allow them to ask as many questions as they want. You allow disagreement. But if you are allowing disagreement in your house, then you have to give space so that each person is allowed to have a talk. You don't blame or badmouth the other person. It's just disagreement back and forth. The first thing is go ahead and say why you think it's wrong. Where's your opinion? The second is give a reason for it. And third is give an example for it. If you do and you keep chatting about whatever it is, it's going to take it up a notch. And as a result, pretty soon, your child will begin to form his own voice, which is, oh, my heavens, what you want so he can speak out for others as well as himself.
0: So it's really helping kids find the strength to disagree respectfully, of course, but yes. be allowed to say that they totally disagree with something.
1: Yes, that's it. And it's okay to disagree. That's why family meetings can be glorious. Mm-hmm. If you set it up so it's a safe space and everybody is allowed to disagree and they know that there are rules, but they also know the rules are, you may disagree, but you may not put the other person down. You have to stick to the facts. You have to say what the problem is, and you have to give a reason why you're concerned about it and a turnaround. The other person then has a chance. Actually, those are the whole format to good old debate. And if you do that over and mm-hmm. over again in your home, what you'll have is a child who's going to be a lot more comfortable, not only in the workplace, but in the classroom and in life, sticking up for a friend who's been picked on or sticking up for himself and that's what a thriver can do
0: you know one of the things that you get anxious about is when your kids do feel overly com- like if you have kids who are overly compliant or pleasers particularly girls that they're going to get in situations where they absolutely know the right thing to do or say but they're not going to do it because they haven't practiced
1: yes Practice. I don't care what the skill is. You need to exercise thriving skills. And the more you exercise them first in the comfort of your own home or in the sandbox, pretty soon what happens is the parent and the child will be able to do them out there in real life. And you, the mom can, or dad can start stepping further and further back. That's your framework because you want your child to have agency real strong thrivers feel like they have some kind of control over their own life. Not that you've given them the car keys or the house keys, but they feel like they have options. They know what to do when push comes to shove. That's critical.
0: You know, I'm I'm just glad you gave the car keys example, because I, I do think sometimes people hear, you know, promoting agency and think that there's, some all of a sudden you're just not doing you you don't have any boundaries and you're not containing any of these kids at all. And it's not that. It's just when there's space for there there to be agency, there should be agency. Yeah. There obviously isn't space to say you can do anything you want. And it's as if you don't live, you know, you're you're not being you you're you're not a child anymore. But there seems to be extreme responses, like either controlling or way sort of relaxed and not a whole lot of space for, uh, I don't know. I guess that's the Goldilocks. Yeah. Space.
1: Well, okay. Here's, here's you use the Goldilocks. I'll use the rubber band. What you do in any kind of boundaries or any kind of your own expectations is to gently stretch your child, stretch, stretch, stretch their abilities without snapping them. That's the goal. So oh, I take love that anything they can do. I don't care if it's, Driving, are they ready, you gently stretch until they can prove it and then they're on their own. But we also know that agency is is critical for another reason. We are seeing unprecedented stress rising in our kids right now and in us. Stress can build and go into anxiety, it's up into depression. We're looking at one in four 14 to 23 year old who have said that they wanted to kill themselves or thought about killing themselves just within the last few months because of the pandemic. If you don't feel like you have any control, you can't control the COVID, but you have control over, but I've got options or I can problem solve or I've got ability to speak up for myself. It reduces your stress and that's what helps your child thrive.
0: Let's talk about what is important about curiosity in terms of thriving.
1: Okay. What I didn't realize is how powerful curiosity was in terms of helping a child thrive. The reason, we now know that Kids who are thrivers, when they're faced with adversity, and by the way, 40% of children will face some kind of adversity. Now with COVID, they're all facing some kind of adversity. They're more open to possibilities. They're more open to the person or they're more open to the idea. And so they don't stumble and go, I can't think of anything and I'm closing my mind off. Instead, they go, I gotta find a way around it. The other thing that's just mind boggling is that we are seeing American children nose diving in curiosity faster than any other country in the world, starting at around the age of five. Now that's just a travesty to a kid. The two biggest stumblers, if you reward it, you're definitely going to just curtail it. And yeah. if everything is so structured and it has no open end to it, then why should I bother and keep on going? So the simplest thing is just encourage it. With little ones, encourage their why questions and keep on going their why. I know they drive you crazy, but how wonderful for a child to say why because they have wonder and you want to keep it up. Pretty soon along the way, when they get to be a little older, you go, I don't know. That's a fabulous question. Let's go find it out. Let's go figure out that answer. Feel free to say you don't know. Open-ended ideas amongst teens. One of the things I'm seeing in schools that when I ask kids, what is your favorite part of day after school tinker clubs? What's a tinker club? Oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's where you go and it's a great big old huge table and they put computers and anything that's electronic and old telephones and everything. I said, what do you do there? Well, you take it apart. I said, "What? Well, you're trying to figure out how to put it back together. They, I'm telling you, there were the most brilliant kids who couldn't wait for Tinker Day. And now when I look at museums are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. These kids are really good discovery museums. They're open-ended. So they foster your child's curiosity. They keep it open. And that's what you want. It's a child who sees there's possibilities that there may be a problem, but all they need to do is storm their brain and the answers
0: inside. Really practically speaking, let's get into the, the way rewards can futz with curiosity.
1: Well, what happens to, what I haven't used more. the
0: word futz in a oh, really I love that. long yes. time. Sorry. What happens
1: with the reward? The kid goes, why should I bother? There's only one answer to it and that's the way they like it. So I guess I'm supposed to do it that way. When you look at a really curious, open-ended person, the most brilliant place I've ever been in my life on curiosity was the MIT multimedia lab at Cambridge. Now, these are the top minds in the world. And the first of all, you walk into this place, top minds in the world. It's all open. It's all glass. And if you look at these adults, I've never seen such eager, excited adults. But the first thing is that multidisciplinary. You've got musicians with artists, with technicians, with um, electricians, with everybody, and all in the same room together trying to work on a problem. Problems are open-ended. All you're going to do is try to better humanity. This is where Surrey was invented. This was robotics were invented. This is where AI was invented. The other thing is the coolest place I ever saw was the ongoing lifelong kindergarten. You walk in and there's groups of 40-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 20-year-olds, all sitting on the ground playing with Legos. And wow. what they're doing is actually inventing some of the best inventions we ever had in the world. The inventor of the program said, you've got to keep kids open. What we do is slam them. We reward them. We tell them we got to do it this way. We give them, nope, it's only a grade if you do it this way. So we're scaring the pants off of their curiosity. What mm-hmm. we've got to do is keep em- empowering them to realize, hey, failure is okay. Your job is to figure out another way around it. In fact, Albert Einstein loved failure. Thomas Edison said, I used to keep journals and journals and journals and journals. Of my failures, because that's how you figure out how to turn around and make it right, figuring out what I did wrong. We do the opposite, we paralyze our kids, and it's doing doom and gloom to them. I love this chapter. I was blown away by uh, the wonderful things that are coming out. And how often we, obviously unintentionally, go the opposite way with our children.
0: What's really helpful, too, is that this time, as You know, I certainly wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but there is a lot of time for solitude. And that is really scary for parents. And one of the things that you address is how to cultivate curiosity by giving opportunities for solitude. Without you
1: directing it. I was sitting in an airplane once and it was a four-hour flight pre-COVID. And I was exhausted. The mother had a four-year-old next to her. And every five minutes, she'd open up her backpack and pull out another toy that was all programmed. Here's the puzzle, sweetheart. Here's the coloring book, sweetheart. Here's this, this, this. The child never had a moment to enjoy her own company. And our kids have got to learn to just do some cloud grazing and some coloring outside the lines. And what you can also do is not cost a dime. Go around and just find some old cardboard boxes or baskets and fill them up with things that kids can do by themselves. Now, the easiest one is arts and crafts, and you usually have that, but it could be also pipe cleaners and uh, things that leftover uh, toilet paper tubes, popsicle sticks, glue, things like that in each box. And it's wonderful for a kid to pull it out and you just say, go for it. Maybe you can teach them solitaire. Maybe you can teach them all those old games that we used to look at and love way back when. Teach them to enjoy their own company because they're going to be with themselves a long time and they need to understand that boredom is okay. It can be a fabulous way to decompress.
0: I've heard so many people feel so pained by the worry of how bored their kids are right now. and But I've, I actually think a lot of that has to do with how we feel yeah. <laughs> and maybe projecting a little bit about boredom onto the kids And some combination of we have historically been, I mean, short history in this past generation, really, to your point, making sure that every moment is accounted for and um, stimulating our kids. And it wasn't because anybody was trying to take away curiosity or trying to take away those moments of solitude and, and finding an interest in the boring clouds that you're looking at, but it has happened quite a bit. And now that that doesn't exist, I think another silver lining for this time that we're all going through is that parents are too tired to overstimulate their kids anymore. And so they are giving them more space to find ways to entertain themselves. I guess the downside of it would be if it's causing them anxiety because they're thinking that their kids are missing out. And I don't blame parents for that. I think that that's one of those things where it's like, you want to say to parents, kids learn best in this environment and curiosity and open-ended. And then they're getting mixed messages because there's tons of enrichment programs and competitive you know, AP classes yes. when you're older yes. and and, and yes. getting into college is kind of insane. And so it's really hard for parents to find the balance of letting a child unfold in the healthiest way for a human to thrive. And also acknowledging that they might live in a setting where the expectation is totally skewed. And I don't know the answer to that.
1: Well, one thing we have to do is look at our kids' schedule and carve in some downtime. Because every kid that I interviewed, for thrivers was oh, so overscheduled that they didn't have a hobby. They felt that they were running on empty and then they felt they were enormously stressed. And when I said, what do you do for a hobby? They all looked at me like, what the heck is a hobby?
0: So we've got to
1: carve Ugh. that in.
0: And, this, and that, is that because the, it, I'm sorry, you tell yeah, me the no. second thing first.
1: No, I, you, I'm going to answer you. Is it because of, yeah, I think it's because we put all our eyes on the GPA as the lofty way. To help our kids be successful. When we discovered that really, really successful people have a curiosity and an openness. And one of the most tragic things, back to the strengths and curiosity, these seven strengths also have what I call a multiplier effect. One alone mm-hmm. isn't nearly as powerful as, is, as if you combine two. So mm-hmm. if you put self-confidence and awareness of your strength with curiosity, Okay, watch out, Albert Einstein, Mm because now you've got a kid who's going to just keep on going and figure out what I love. And I'm just going to move, move, move. The average age, as the University of Chicago, of a kid who gives up their talent, real talent, is age 13. Why? I didn't have enough time to practice it. So we maybe need to be a little bit more looking at where our children have a passion, where is their strength, and carving the time so that they can. Practice that because you only increase your skills with practice.
0: And that's different. Those hobbies are different than extracurricular activities chosen by your environment. Like let's say a child is choosing it, but it's clear that it's because that's something that their parents want or their school community wants for them. It, it, it's not the same thing as those chosen activities that you would do if you had nothing going on.
1: Yes. Yes. And so maybe it's a time to sit down with your child and just have that little conversation when they're a little older, which things do you crave? Which things, is there one little thing you think you should give up now? Maybe it's studying for the math. Isn't the idea if he's not doing so well, I'm not saying give up that, but I'm saying, is there something that you've added to the plate? Because it looks like a resume filler that Mm -hmm. in the end, there may be something better for the child That's going to help that child thrive and get his well-being intact and explore another possibility, opening up that because we seem to also be happiest when we're in a state of flow, doing the things that we really do enjoy. We engage in them longer. We are more fulfilled. And University of Chicago says that's what makes us a peak performer. Too often, I think we, we go uh, against the grain and forget to go with our child's strength and curiosity. And boy, that's a powerful combination.
0: Now that kind of leads very beautifully into the next strength, which is perseverance. Because, yep. and that makes sense for thrivers because if you're not persevering, you're not thriving. Um, <laughs> I mean, exactly. but that, I, one, that one feels more intuitive, but I want to hear from you. Well,
1: obviously, I'm going to put perseverance onto it because you want a kid who's a go-getter, who refuses to give up and just keeps on going down the pike. That's what a thriver is. My concern was that too often, though, prior to this, we were using just grit as the motto. Just keep on going and push, push, push. Thank you. And what we did is we made the kid run on empty. That's what I realized. Okay, you put perseverance with another passion or with another strength that's your your child's actual character strength. Now you're gonna have a kid who's mentally healthier and less likely to feel empty.
0: And also, I mean, you should know that there are times when it's inappropriate or unhealthy for you to keep going. Like you need to give it up. You need to check, you need to say like, you know what, I'm putting, and that that's not, I'm a quitter. That's actually, I'm taking care of myself.
1: Yes. I did it all, I gave it my best and like, okay, moving on to something else. And we need Mm -hmm. to put those parameters to our child because a lot of them are just push, push, pushing and they are vaporized.
0: So let's talk about the good parts of perseverance and what, um, you know, it is really hard to teach because you do see so many kids who have that different, more natural inclination to keep going with something they're excited about and other kids who, no matter how excited they are, they just kind of don't have that thing that keeps them curious and pushing. Well, I
1: think that's the first step. Well, the first step starting at a younger level is we need to find the thing that gives them the the, the wonder to want to keep pushing. And then we can start emphasizing to the child, wow, you just hung in there. Carol Dweck says, our biggest mistake is again, praising the end product or giving them the trophy or asking how many you got right. Mm-hmm. When in reality, if you really want to keep that kid so he realizes that he's got the agency, not the grade, but he's got the ability to keep on going, then you praise the child's effort. You're hanging in there. My gosh, you you had a problem there. You stumbled, but you went over it. You keep on going. Wow. The longer you praise the effort as opposed to the end product, Carol Dweck says you create a kid with growth mindset and he's going to be far more in tune to realize he again has that sense of agency. I've got control over it. I can do it. It's not locked into my IQ. It's locked into how hard I work.
0: And also it is associated with something that they're already, they already dig it. I wouldn't exercise that muscle out of the gate with things that are like, ugh, this is a slot. This math class is such a, you know, it's such a drag I think it's probably best to think about younger kids and just what they're already working on or thinking about.
1: Maybe one of the most important skill sets for thrivers is the next time. It's not just that yet, I've given it my all, I still can't do it. What the heck am I gonna do now? Okay, what are you gonna do on flipping it? And it's the goal setting. Goal I love that answer. Are, yeah, it's I will, what am I gonna do? Identify it, what is it I'm gonna do? plus when am I going to do it and how am I going to do it? Mm -hmm. If you just model those three things, that's the formula for a good goal setter. I will, plus what, plus when, plus how, you got it. Mm -hmm. And um, you can start that at a very young age. I remember the other thing that was, I looked at piano for years. I played piano and I hated my piano teacher, Mr. White. Maybe I publicly announced this. Now, the reason I hated him was because I would play piano at age six and seven. If I made one mistake, like in Mozart, like, you know, almost at the end, he made me restart the whole thing all over again. I Mm. hated it because now I got into failure paralysis of worrying about my mistake. I bless Mrs. Thompson, my next teacher, because what she would say instead is, okay, that's your little stumbler. So let's look at that one little stumbler and figure (laughs) out what you're gonna do instead. Not the whole thing, but just that, one little thing. And that may be the piece that we need to do with our kids. What's the one little thing that's troubling you? Let's figure out the next time or the goal in order to get over it. And then the child knows he's got a plan and now he can thrive.
0: It's so great because I really, again, I love all of the growth mindset research and I really love the yet, but I also think realistically that there's that next thing, especially, and you're right, you could start it at a young age, but those glitches, those, um, what did your teacher call it? Stumbler. Yeah, it's a little stumbler. A little stumbler, um, you know, having a plan and thinking about goals without, Focusing on the outcome, but just having a strategy does transform it, or trans. Maybe it's more like it translates growth mindset into action beyond. Yes,
1: that's what we need. Otherwise, we've got kids who are just going to keep saying yet, 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 and they don't know what to do instead. That's what we've got to help them. Is what are you going to do instead? And if we keep using those everyday little moments of adversity, now they can apply that to the real life world when we're not there and how wonderful for the kid to go. So what am I going to do instead?
0: I love that. And let's talk about bounce back statements that you can inter, like say enough in your household that they become internalized over time.
1: Well, let's look at, I think the bounce back statements are the ones the best ones I know are the ones that the kids come up with. Yep. There you I go again. You're so right. Too often what we do is we try to put them in with our kids where the kids come up with so many better ones. And maybe it's using waiting for the moment to have the kid have the problem and then say, what am I gonna do differently next time? Fascinating enough, they've done some research that kids who are and can keep on going who are more thrivers give mistakes nicknames. They don't call it a big old failure. Ah, that's my little stumbler. That's a little niche or that's a little whatever doesn't make any difference what it is, but they take it. So they realize they can do something differently with it the next time,
0: because we don't want to raise Pollyannas. That's what's not, this is all about. Right. And that is not the definition of optimism. So maybe that's a good thing to start with is how you're defining optimism.
1: Well, it's a kid who does find a silver lining, but realistically they have this a realistic
0: silver lining.
1: Realistically. I, I worry that We all think, oh, go, go find the positive. And we're not trying to raise little Miss Sunshines here, but we are (laughs) trying to help a child who doesn't make pessimism pervasive. And it's all the time and it's permanent because that just robs your ability to thrive. You can certainly say, man, this was a horrible day. Oh my gosh, COVID is absolutely terrible. But they've got to be able to see a pathway through. And that pathway through is what helps you have the hope to keep on going.